guys, and welcome back to another Doom Patrol episode of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. Today we're going to be talking about episode 3, which was called Puppet Patrol. Have a little listen to a clip. I'd like to welcome you to Futopia, where great men and women are made brighter. After the war, I relocated to Paraguay until fate brought a scoundrel to my door. Is that the chief? It's the chief. <laughs> a friend of Niles Calder is an enemy of Von Fuchs. The fuck? The synopsis for this episode reads, The Doom Patrol set out for Paraguay, where they discover the Nazi doctor who created Mr. Nobody and the connection between the chief and the two villains. The synopsis for this episode reads, The Doom Patrol set out for Paraguay where they discover the Nazi doctor who created Mr. Nobody and the connection between the chief and the two villains. I gave this episode a whacking great 10 out of 10. My verdict was, well Doom Patrol, you did it. Three episodes in and you've scored a 10 out of 10. Puppet Patrol is utterly genius. I need not say more than that this is the perfect slice of comic book TV. Initial thoughts from you. Hold it. Just to say that there will be spoilers. I always forget to say, there will be spoilers. You have been warned. Your thoughts, Mr. Galligan? Best episode ever. Of the three? Of the three. Okay. So far. <laughs> we'll try and take this one from the start. So, uh, Hammerball Lecter. Yeah. My first favourite moment of the episode. As Crazy Jane is putting up the posters of The Missing Chief, where you're to dial 1-800-I-found-him, or 1-800-we-lost-him, or something random like that. And she covers up the little Hannibal Lecter hamster. Hannibal Lecter. I don't know how you can follow her from a Hannibal Lecter. I mean, where else do you go in an episode where your opening scene is a serial killing hamster? <laughs> Crazy Jane takes it to that next level by stapling a poster to a man's head. She does. Uh, I think the thing about this episode, and I apologise to you now, listeners, if this is even more haphazard than last week, is that I actually think this episode is perfect from start to finish. Apart from one scene with some dodgy green screen, I don't think there's actually anything bad about this episode, and you could talk about every single second of it. Yeah, I would agree. It had every, it ticked all of my boxes, apart from there was no donkey. <laughs> no, there was a donkey. There was a donkey in picture form. Well, in the entire scene about a butt printer in Cyborg. That's true. So I think the thing about this episode, before we go off on random tangents, is that it's really funny from start to finish. Like, everything about it is hilarious. From Hammerball Lecter, to the butt printer, to um, when they're on the bus and it's cutting between each one of them driving. I'm going to guess that your favourite one is when Rita's like, Stop driving! You've got to look where you're going! And screaming. He's yeah. laughing. He's doing a silent wheeze laugh, which you can't see people at home. Then you get to uh, Paraguay, and you meet the guy who will become Animal, Vegetable, Mineral Man. Um, and then you go and meet the puppets. And then you meet the Nazis. And then everyone's talking about Fugtopia. Um, and it's just genius from start to finish. But then it is punctuated by flashbacks of Larry Trainer, which are actually really quite sad and quite tragic at the same time. Yeah, no, it's a really good contrast. You've got lots of really good humour with the really sad background story of Larry and his negative madness. And that's the thing about this episode that's really it just stands out from the other two is that the tone of it is perfect. 
It's funny when it needs to be funny, it's gruesome when it wants to be gruesome in that fight sequence, but at the same time, once you look behind the facade of all of the humour and the pretense, there's actually a really human story that goes on behind it, which is sad and heartbreaking, and does kind of leave you thinking for a while after you watch the episode. Yeah, and I, can, I think it really it's good in that it does that really subtle way, because when you think about it on the surface, yes, it was really funny, but actually we've got to see a hell of a lot more character development, not only with Larry, but with Rita as well, and with Robot Man. And the and other Robot Jane, Man, Cyborg. And Cyborg. Well, they all had some character development, actually, so we all got to see a bit more of their, just how vulnerable they really are. Yeah, I think not having the Chief around really makes them quite vulnerable, and I, although it's it's sad that we're not getting to see much of him. Him not being there is kind of the perfect thing for these characters at this point in time while they form this team and figure out exactly who and what they want to be. They kind of need to be without him to do that and do it right. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Although I will point out, at one point I did think when they did the puppet sort of storyline. Yeah. And when the cheese puppet came out, I did think, haha, it's a James Bond puppet. <laughs> Just because it was Timothy Dalton. Yeah. <laughs> they were really good lookalike puppets, though. They were really good. Let's go backwards a little bit. So, uh, the team decide to do a bit of research into the donkey. You get that genius scene in uh, what they refer to as the chief's dungeon, where Robot Man pulls out the drawer of eyes and he's like, I think this guy's got a hoarding problem. And then he pulls out the drawer of chocolate and he's like, Hmm, I also think he's a diabetic. That's the thing from the comics, by the way, that he is a chocolate fiend, the chief. That is a nod to the comic books. Uh, and then you get to see Cyborg do more of what they hinted at last week in trying to be the, the kind of hopeful, shining hero. He does that whole thing where he's like, we need to have a team meeting. And they're all a bit like, why? And you can see him trying to drive everything in the right direction by investigating, bringing them all together, but they just don't want to buy into it, which is where the whole butt printer thing comes from. Missing out the fact that actually just before that, you also get to see the moment when Cyborg uh, caused the explosion in his in, but in his mum's lab, not in Star Labs. Yeah, so it was like their home lab, wasn't it? Yeah, because remember you saw it last week when you saw him lying on the grass. That was their house that blew up when he was lying on the ground with no arm and no leg and no eye. Then this was how we saw it within his um, grid framework. Yeah, but then I wonder if we're going to sort of delve into that a bit more because he goes for the whole trying to authenticate the security camera. It's it did look odd to me. Did you notice that the explosion doesn't seem to quite come from the same place as where he threw the tray? Yeah, it comes from somewhere totally different. So he swipes that tray off the table and then the explosion seems to come from slightly further into the room, but that could just be me reading too much into it. Well, you never know. So just going back to the filing cabinet. Yeah. So when he goes through the eyes and the Kit Kats... And then he finds so other forms of chocolate are available. So Cliff finds the folder on about him, and this is where he finds the number yes, for his, his daughter. daughter. Uh, that comes up later. I didn't pick up on that the first time. It was only the second time that I really picked up on that. That's where he found it, and that when he sees the cat, he was going to phone her, and then obviously you see him throw that number away while he's on the plane on the way home because he obviously feels after killing all those Fuktopia Nazis that he isn't worthy of seeing her. I think it's really interesting that we get to see his development because he keeps saying, you know, he can't feel anything, he can't feel anything, and you've got that really interesting discussion with him and the, the folk-talking lady when she's like, well, clearly you do feel something because you feel like you're missing something, and that could be his daughter, really. Where was that lady that he was talking to? Folk-talking. 
you can't say it normally, Super Friends. You have to say, Fooktopia, talking of Super Friends, they get mentioned in this episode. So we get to... Uh, so basically, obviously, if you've already seen this episode, then you know what happens. Um, if for some reason you're watching this and you haven't, the Doom Patrol are travelling to Paraguay. They're doing it on a bus because... Cyborg's dad has said to him that he won't be allowed to use his Star, uh, Star Labs credit card or the Star Labs jet, which I thought was quite interesting. I quite like that he, he's obviously being bankrolled by Star Labs, but it does add to that story that his dad is in control of him a little bit. So then the bus breaks down because of Negative Man not getting on very well with his inner negativeness, and they end up in a motel car park. And then when Cyborg is trying to fix the bus, the guy comes out and has a chat with him and tries to take a picture with him, and he's like, hey, super friend! Which I thought was very cool. Little nod to the Geico fans out there. Very good. And again, lots of little nods to the Justice League. Ah, so who's Lock- mentioned? Batman, Batman twice, Aquaman, Aquaman, and Justice League mentioned as the Justice League as well. So we get a little nod of Justice League 2020. Is that, are we sort of prophesizing something? Or we just... oh, I presume that was because of the 2020 Olympics. Oh, okay. I don't know why. It sounded like he was referring to them like a sports team, so... That was what I thought of. That was on the third time I watched it. Okay. The first time I watched it, I thought he was referring to a sequel that'll never happen. The second time, I don't really know what I thought he was referring to, and the third time, it felt like an Olympic team. Well, I, I, yeah, I just thought he was making a joke to say, keep going like you're going, and you'll make the Justice League by 2020. There's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on with Rita in this episode. And what do you, Oh, actually, this is an important thing to point out before we start talking about her character. What did you think of the leg in this episode? Oh, it's a good leg. Much better done than the first leg. That could become a weekly feature, Leg Watch. Yeah, it was a good leg this week. Well done, Ria. I even posted that leg to Instagram on a post that said, this is me getting ready for work on a Monday morning. During your morning ablutions. Yes. Uh, she. There's a lot that goes on with Rita in this episode. I think she's a little bit underrated because she's not involved in the action all that much. No, but you know, but we get to see a lot of, a lot of Rita character development in this, in this episode in a very subtle way. It doesn't quite follow on from last week with that whole idea that she's maybe had a child at some point who she abandoned or did something with. But it does show more cracks of her and more of her being human. And I absolutely loved the scene where she was locked in the bathroom and Jane gets so fed up that... I wanted to call her Flick, but it's Flit, isn't it? Which is another one of the personas from the comics just appears and having been sat on that bus for two weeks travelling around, she just grabs Robot Man and Negative Man and transports them straight to Paraguay and they're there in a second. I thought that was absolutely genius. And After Rita all just of that. Out the bathroom. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, bless her. But the pairing of her and Cyborg is really interesting to watch, I thought. They they I was, they didn't have much together in the last episode, did they? Um well they had the, the bag incident. Yeah that was it. So yeah. this was a this was a lot more human for them. With uh, with them then sat around the pool while she was eating and him just kind of talking to her like a human being rather than Rather than it being Cyborg and Elastigirl, it was Vic and Rita, which was nice. Yeah, and they were kind of, they're very similar in that, the, this whole sort of ideas of control and loss of control, you know, Vic being controlled by his dad, Rita being controlled by the blobness. The blobness, yes. So, you know, it's interesting sort of connotations between the two characters. So while those two are having DMs around the pool in somewhere that's nowhere near Paraguay, according to the text on the screen, everyone else is on their way to Fooktopia. Or Fooktopia, depending on your pronunciation. We will bleep that out. So they arrive in Fooktopia and we get the puppets, which is just its just the most random thing you've ever seen. And it's the only time that Alan Tudyk, 
I now know how to pronounce his name. Thank you, DC Daily and YouTube. Uh, that's the only time we see Alan Tudyk, and it's as a puppet. So there's no real Mr. Nobody. There isn't any narration by him in this episode, no, is there? No, there's no narration at all, which is interesting. So they're obviously only going to use that when they feel it's necessary, which is good, rather than just hamming it up for no reason. Love the puppets. Puppets are genius. Puppet Nazis? Extra genius. I would agree. I do love a good comical puppet Nazi. And we're allowing you to talk about them this time. We've, you know, there is a deleted scene from a previous episode of this podcast where you made a very politically incorrect joke about Nazis to do with the trailer for this episode. But we're allowing it on this on this occasion. Well, it's very heavily involved in the storyline. I was a little bit confused why there are Nazis in Paraguay and then I was confused as to whether they were German or whether they were Bavarian. Because um, he was Bavarian, the yeah. puppet mastery man. But go with it. There's some good accents. I particularly like the rotund lady. Sturdy. <laughs> she has the best Fructopian accent, I found. Um, and she was given really good, crazy, brainwashed face as Did well. Did you think they were robots? Um, I get that it was somewhere between brainwashed and robot, but they had those moments where they'd all just suddenly stop mid-sentence and then just look off into the distance. See what I did there? I stopped mid-sentence. Um, well, no, that's because he was the, he's the puppet master and they were his puppets. Oh, it was an analogy that they were puppets as well as the actual puppets. Yeah, well, he explains all that as well. I've watched this episode three times. I did not pick up on that. When he's, when he's talking to Jane, he's like, oh... So you've got lots of personalities in one body, whereas I'm one body, I'm one personality in lots of bodies. Oh! So that's why they keep looking up. was just being weird. No. Oh. <coughs> I'm going to have to watch this episode a fourth time. That leads us on to the fight sequence. Yes, that was some fight sequence. It was interesting. That was a good fight sequence. Negative man takes himself off into the device that made Mr. Nobody and has some crazy trippiness, whilst Robot Man and Crazy Jane fight the Fukutopian Nazis. And it's quite a bloodbath. Yeah, so especially with Cliff, so you know he is a big robot and he doesn't know That's the thing, so I thought as much as it was playing it for laughs, it was also showing that actually he's a robot and he maybe doesn't quite know how much force he actually has. So throwing someone into a wall, if I did that, you'd probably just punch me back and say, that really hurt. Whereas for him, they just went splooey. Let's, let's just go back a step here. You couldn't throw anybody into a wall. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then when he tears the one apart and thrashes another one with the legs, that is just genius. Yeah, that was quite funny. I still need to learn the name of Crazy Jane's character that says the words that then become knives, though. She's really cool and comes back again. And what does she say? Oh, as we did then. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really cool when she killed them with the words Alvidazane or whatever it was that she said. There's going to be a lot of bleeps in this episode. But it was, again, it was played for laughs but it was really cool at the same time which I thought was awesome. I guess that kind of brings us to Larry and everything that happens with Larry in this episode. It's, I, it's weirdly Larry-centric even though the main story in the present day doesn't focus on him. So at times I, did, I was a little bit like, hmm, I'm seeing a lot of Larry but this isn't really about him but we're seeing a lot of him at the same time. Well, I suppose he's got quite a complex character, really, hasn't he? With these sort of two personas, really, with himself and a negative man, and then how that flashes back to the 60s, with, again, 
the same two personas really himself with the wife and kids and himself with his John his John yeah. um, I'm just, I was just telling you the character's name the character's name is John <laughs> his John um, and then the connotations of how he kind of struggles with those two lifestyles and bring them both together and that kind of matches up with his negative man persona as well yes John Bowers played by Kyle Clements uh, yeah it starts out with them obviously in the truck and then they're having that conversation, which I guess was probably quite typical of somebody in their situation in that time, which was that one of them, which is John, wants to tell everyone that he's in love with Larry, but Larry isn't prepared to because he thinks it'll throw his career away, particularly being in the armed forces. And then obviously there's wife and kids that are involved and that awkwardness that comes in that conversation that then leads into what happens after well, then he goes home to see his wife, and clearly she knows. Yeah, she clearly knows. But obviously, dated at the time, she's not actually going to come out and see it. So it all becomes this, why are you going out drinking with the boys? I thought you were going to stop drinking with the boys. And then she lists all the places that they've lived where it's happened. Yes, clearly this has been following him around. Then, af- I think my favourite bit of this part of the story is after the accident. You get the scene where she goes to see him while he's in... Um, that kind of solitary confinement hospital room so that no one can be irradiated by him and she says to him I'm trying to remember the exact words that she says she says they need to be honest with themselves uh, so that they can be happy with someone who they deserve to be happy with which almost seemed like she accepted it slightly but at the same time it was just her breaking up with him I think yeah it was quite sad really saying that she's told the boys the kids that you know Daddy's gone away and he's probably never going to come back. Yeah. Which is quite sad, really. Not as heartbreaking, though, as the scene when John then comes to see him afterwards. I say see him, they can't see him because the, there is no glass in that room because they would, the radiation would go through it. But when John says to him, I've decided not to leave the, the Air Force, I'm going to stay around because I would hate to feel that, you know, who would be stuck with you if I was to leave... So I'm staying, I'm, I'm here, clearly wanting to be by his side because he he knows how much he loves him and how much they love each other and how terrible it is that this accident has befallen him. And then all he can say to him is just go. Yeah, it was quite sad. It was really sad. He could. It was all because he could see that negative man was in him and he knew that he wasn't the same guy that he was before. And as much as he was saying that he was going to get back to normal, he obviously knew he would never was going to. And he didn't want to put him through that which was really human and just resonated with me on many different levels. Yeah, and it kind of grounded the episode in some ways as well, didn't it? Perfect phrase. It did It did ground the whole thing. You had you could just go from a ridiculous fight scene with a giant robot ripping people in half and blood spattering everywhere to this really poignant little scene of these two people that clearly love each other being not able to be together and not even able to say it to each other at all. Anything else that you want to touch on with this episode? Um, no, I think it was a really good all-rounder, really. I mean, you've got robots ripping Nazis in half. You've got really hard-hitting storylines that tackle lots of different challenges from dealing with your own personality and relationships back to more sort of gentle comedy, really. Uh, what more can you ask for? Well, that, this is the thing, and as I... I, I nearly did a comedy review for this one that would have literally just said, here is the synopsis, my review is, this is great, 10 out of 10. I don't really know where it can go from here. 
in terms of quality because it was just easily one of the best shows I think I've actually watched in a long, long time. And I'm surprised that I'm saying that given that we have shows like Titans. Yeah, that's a bold statement to make. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next episode if it's going to continue to get even better or a hope to God that they haven't peaked too soon. Well too early with ten episodes left to go. The thing of it is, the way I look at it, I don't know these characters at all other than what we've seen in these three episodes and one guest spot in Titans. Yet I think I care about them more than I do the characters in Titans and probably more so than characters in any of the other DC TV shows apart from possibly Legends of Tomorrow because I do love me some Sarah Lance I would agree with everything up until the Sarah Lance comment I'm, I'm, she's alright I'll give you that but I don't care about her that much but I do really care about these characters and I want to see where they're going to go next because they are imperfect and I do feel like I want them to you know I want them to have a sort You're wishing of, them well aren't I you? wish them well <laughs> Yeah. So, scores on the doors for me was 10 out of 10. What about for you? I think I'm going to have to go 10 out of 10 as well. Bloody hell. That's, I never do that. No. Well, you did give that one episode of Titans all the thumbs up on the planet. That's true. Okay, yeah. Which episode? That was, that was Donna Troy. That was Donna Troy. Okay, how does this compare with that? Oh, do you know, I think Donna Troy was a really very close, like a Titans version of this. Okay. With the gentle comedy mixed in with some character development, but this just took it. I think Doom Patrol has got the advantage of being able to take it to a really crazy level. Yeah, true. Sure, you would does, never get Nazi puppets and Titans. No. Sticking with that 10 out of 10? Yeah, I am. But I'm, I'm committed to it. Okay. That is our discussion of Doom Patrol episode 3. We will see you next week for episode 4, which is called Cult Patrol. See you later, super friends. Bye! Oh, welcome to Fogtown!